can an everyday game we play with babies teach us something about ourselves? And then we dig into the New York Times articles about UFO disclosure. Are they revealing a truth that UFOs have crash-landed on Earth? Or is something more bizarre going on? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. This is the start of the weekend. I hope you guys have an awesome weekend. If you want it to be exciting, let it be exciting. If you want it to be just laid back, it shall be laid back. There, you have my blessing either way. Hopefully it's whatever you want it to be. First off, let's give a shout out to our newest supporter of the show, Nick Viano. Nick Thank you so much for supporting the show. It really, really helps out a lot. You're going to be El Capitan this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Talk about it in person or online or astral project and just haunt people right on their bathroom mirrors, Dead Rabbit Radio. That would actually be quite the marketing scheme. Nick, let's go ahead and hop into Jason Jalopy. We're going to take a little drive around. I have a science lab here in town. I don't think I told any of you guys that. So we're driving, <laughs> apparently the car sounds like a bomb falling in World War II, but it's not. It's just a regular old car, I think. We get to my scientific laboratory, we're putting on our lab coats, and we're going to put on some special goggles and little masks. And we walk into one of those rooms, and it's like, Psss, and the smoke's all on us and stuff like that. I don't even know what it's for, I just like the sound effect. We walk into a room, and in the middle of the room, we see a plexiglass box, and inside the box is a human baby, a.k.a. Littlest Homo sapienus. It's a scientific term for a baby. Nick's like, I don't think that's a scientific term for a baby. I'm like, ah. So I walk over to this plexiglass box where there's a baby in it. And you're like, dude, wait. Oh, first off, how long has that baby been in a box? And secondly, there's air holes in that, right? And I was like, yeah, he's been in here for like maybe, I don't know, a couple minutes. I put him in here right before I started recording. And yeah, there's totally air holes and this box is, is my eyes shift side to side. I'm all drilling a hole real quick. I'm all breathe, baby, breathe. It's all. <sighs> so anyways, <laughs> now you guys are very worried. You're like, uh, like baby's fine. This littlest homo sapienus is part of the experiment. <laughs> Super nervous, but no, nothing bad's going to happen to the baby. And then I duck down. So you can't see me, but neither can the baby. And the baby's like, the baby's doing like baby noises and stuff like that. And then I jump up, and my hands are covering my face. It startles you more than it startles the baby. The baby almost expects it. My hands are covering my face. You're totally worried at this point. And then I move them aside, and I go, Peekaboo! I close it back up. Peekaboo! Close it back up. This goes on for about an hour and a half, two hours at this point, and you're just like, Ugh. Couldn't you put chairs in your secret laboratory? I'm like, no. It's more scientific if we're standing up. We're doing it for like two hours. The baby never gets bored. And this is a phenomenon we're all familiar with. We've all had encounters with babies where you can do peekaboo. They never get bored of it. They love the game. I was actually looking into this. It's really interesting, the idea of peekaboo and babies. So peekaboo is a game that cuts across all cultures. Every culture has some variation of peekaboo, which I, I always find fascinating. Doesn't matter where you're at on the globe, how far your culture goes back. At some level, there is a game similar to Peekaboo. And the way that it works, because they and, and because it's such a social thing, since everyone, it's almost like a 
part of just being human at this point. There have been tons of studies done on why babies like peekaboo. Why do adults think it's super lame and get bored of it after a couple minutes? For a baby, they don't know what to expect. Their brain is still building those pathways. So when you cover your face up, can you hear me? See, you hear my voice. Peekaboo! They are shocked each time and it makes them laugh. And what happens is it's teaching them that just because something is not visible doesn't mean it's gone. And they see your face, you cover it up, you uncover it, and you go peekaboo or whatever you're saying. I, don't, I wonder if you just do it stone-faced if you just went... I wonder if the kid would still find it funny, but kids like it because it one, it's reassuring. It's teaching their brain that just because something is unseen, when your parent leaves the room and the kid starts crying, it's because they, as far as they know, the parent has ceased to exist. They can't see their parent. It's terrifying. It's teaching them like, oh, things don't disappear forever. (laughs) Things don't fall into the shapeless void just because they went to Starbucks. It takes them a while to build this pathway. They also find it hilarious because comedy is really based on expectation and subversion of expectation. So they expect your face to be there, but then their brain is telling them, oh, dude, that guy's disappeared forever, and then it reappears again, and they're like, oh, I love this joke. They've actually tried variations of this. This would be hilarious. I would love to just be a scientist just so I could constantly be like, test 85. We have another baby in a box. We're going to run this test. What they did was they'd have one person like interact with a baby, and then duck down behind a wall or obscure themselves in some way. And the baby would be like excited and kind of scared. And then somebody else would pop up and go, peekaboo! And the baby didn't like that. Like the baby would be like, uh, uh, okay, like I guess I'm supposed to laugh? Because they get the setup. First they'd have the person jump down and jump up. <laughs> baby would find that hilarious. And then the person would do that a couple times. The person then would jump down and another person would jump up. And it's funny because as adults, that would be funny. That would be shocking because that's a complete subversion of what we expect. When the baby's brain is still developing, it's like, whoa, whoa, dude, this is way too trippy for me. Like, I'm, I barely can hold my head up with the muscles in my neck. And now people are shape-shifting in front of me. Hold up, scientist man. So peekaboo is interesting because it, it's a tool that builds those pathways. And it's almost, I think because it is across all cultures, I wonder if it's something that's just innate in our species. I wonder, because you know, like animals play and stuff like that. I wonder if bears have an equivalent of that. Like they stick their head in a beehive. Okay, I know bears, I know beehives one can't do that. It's not a Winnie the Pooh cartoon. But let's say like a bear like hides in the cave and the baby bear's like, what, mom? No, I'm going to starve to death. You still need to teach me how to forage for food. And the mom walks out and the baby bear's like, ha, 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 ha. Okay, again, I know bears are actually cartoon characters that have knees they can slap if you heard that sound effect. But I wonder if all animals do this on something because animals do play and animals also have to learn like that. I also wanted to talk about this baby thing. One, because I rented out this cool scientific room and got this baby. I also want to talk about the peekaboo story because I had an odd thought the other day. We're going to leave behind the baby. He's like, no, let me out of the box. All of a sudden, it develops the ability to speak. At six months, it's like banging on the, dude, dude, no, 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 no. We're like, oh, oh, sorry, bro. Sorry. We're going to we're gonna get a little baby carrier, like the thing that's on strapped to your body. So now I got a little baby with me. And we're walking. We've adopted this kid. We've adopted this kid. His name is Mungo Jr. It's really weird. You know, a lot of times when you're out in public, 
people bring their babies and the babies are kind of looking around. It's just absorbing information. It's like, whoa, what's that? That's that color purple I've been hearing about. Whoa, it's super. Whoa, look at that. It's a butterfly. Uh, I know all these terms. I just don't know what they are. They're absorbing information really for the first time. Like when a baby sees you, that might be the first time they've ever seen someone who even closely resembles you. They're taking in everything. They're just, uh, they can't focus because their brain is basically like nom, 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 nom on all the visual stimuli and auditory stimuli and all that. Babies are constantly reading the room. And that's how we learn how to develop being able to read people's faces, being able to tell if someone's mad or pretending to be mad, able to tell if someone's laughing, what laughter is, what laughter looks like, all of these things that they're eventually going to start mimicking. So when they're an adult, I'm an expert at reading faces. That's why I don't really like interacting online. Like online dating has always sucked for me. I'm actually quite shy online. In person, I'll walk up to a random stranger because I can look at you and I can tell the exact moment that I've started to annoy you. I can tell everything about you and your body language and your fa- I know exactly when that conversation's over and it's time to walk away. Always leave about five seconds earlier than you're supposed to. All that stuff. I'm an expert at reading faces and body language. And I've developed that skill from reading faces growing up. I'm at Walmart the other day. Everyone was wearing a mask. There was a little baby. I don't know. Less than a year old, maybe. Baby's looking around, and I'm th- and people are smiling at the baby, but the eyes just slightly crinkle when you're smiling through a mask. You don't see the broad smile, you don't see the teeth. Babies who are developing during this time period are going to have one hell of a hard time understanding human emotions, right? Because so much of it is displayed by our face, to the point that even an animal can read a human's facial expression. Th- these babies that are growing up during this whole time, they're going to have such a hard time This six-month window, and now at home they may be getting all of this facial recognition and stuff like that, but we got it everywhere, and when, I was talking to Sabine about it, and she goes, we're going to have a whole generation of kids who miss that vital window of reading, right? There's that time period where you start picking up books yourselves, and you're going to the library, and you're kind of looking around, or you have a teacher who's... Uh, giving you books and things like that and talking to your peers about certain books. She said, "There's we're going to have this whole time period where kids are going to miss out. We're going to have a generation of kids who aren't readers. It's really weird. Like those are, yesterday I talked about the COVID lockdowns and things like that and the side effect with the depression and suicide. But it's even more wide ranging than that. This isn't a criticism. I'm not saying that COVID-19 is false or it's fake or none of that stuff. I'm just saying it's interesting because now that it's gone on for so long, we can start to really think about the long-term ramifications. These kids who are six months to a year right now or younger, how are they going to be when they're 25? Because they missed out on crucial brain-building skills by looking at people's faces. When you have a whole generation of people who just can't tell when you're mad at them, or when you're having a good time with them and they're looking at your face and they just can't tell the difference. So when you're saying, hey, no, I, I, I really need some space right now, buddy. Like, I don't know you. I don't know what you're doing there. They don't know how to read faces. I mean, I guess they can still hear. They're like, oh, you're telling me you want a hug? You're like, no, no. I guess they can still understand the language. But you know what I mean. You know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff going on here. Nick. Let's fire up that carpenter copter. We're going to put little baby Mungo Jr. He's going to play in the back of the carpenter copter. We're going to put little childproof doors on the side. I always imagine the carpenter copter had like huge bay doors that are open. And all the listeners are just hanging with their feet hanging out or something. 
everyone, it is your job to protect this baby. Little Mungo Jr.'s having a ball. We are flying out to New York City. This has been the big news story for the month. And it's funny because this story popped up right before I went on vacation. And then, like I could have predicted, just disappeared, right? Have you heard about it recently? Have you heard about it recently? In our circles, maybe. But when it first popped out, like, Fox News was covering it. New York Times was the first people to cover it. But Fox News was covering it. You had... I saw it pop up all over the internet. I, saw, I don't know if I ever specifically saw it on CNN. I do believe they mentioned it a couple times. But New York Times was kind of headlining this. I saw it, I believe, like in The Guardian. I go to a new website called News, which is a news aggregator. Judge Report was running with it, all that stuff. So what happened was Pentagon's like, nah, we don't believe... Anything about all this UFO nonsense? Like, we've looked into it, and yeah, there's like 5% or 1% or something that we can't explain, but we're not going to waste our time working with this stuff anymore, nerds. And the Pentagon is like, they took their ball and they went home, basically. Because we can all investigate UFOs on some level, but the highest military level of the United States was like, shops closed. Recently, a Senate committee was doing a report that was outlining spending on intelligence agencies. And, you know, with report, a lot of times you have the flashy reporters that are, like, knocking on the president's door and getting scoops and stuff like that. But really, most reporters, because I that was my major, was journalism. That's what my degree's in. You'd have cool reporters who did the police beat, and then you had lame reporters who did the city council beat. And you had to go to all the meetings. I've had to cover a couple of those, and you're just like, ugh, just sleeping there. That's how this story broke. Someone was sitting at a Senate committee for spending on intelligence agencies, and it turned out that when the Pentagon stopped covering this, so maybe a couple years passed, the Office of Naval Intelligence opened a program called the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force. It was not announced. This was not announced at all. It was something they did, and someone just saw it was on a sheet of money that was being spent. So like those old-timey movies, the reporter ran to the payphone, put a quarter in, and then goes, wait a second, I have a cell phone. Walks out, tries to get his quarter back, pulls out a cell phone. Hey, Bosh, you won't believe this! And then the headlines spin, and... New York Times newspaper has this article, No longer in shadows, Pentagon's UFO unit will make some findings public. This was written by Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Keene. This article came out July 23rd, 2020. It's an interesting read. But it's basically policy wonk stuff. It's basically like it used to do this, and now it's with this place, and the Pentagon's saying it's shuffling. This became a huge story because really the, the end of the story was this. This was what you saw get quoted a lot. Out of context, we're going to talk about this. Oh, and let me say this too before I read this quote. The Pentagon shut down their program, but they were still working on it. They said they had shut it down but then they took their ball, they went home, and then they're just playing with the ball in the Pentagon where no one could see. So they did say they shut it down, but that's going to turn out not to be true. Let me read you this quote. Eric W. Davis, an astrophysicist who worked as a subcontractor and then a consultant for the Pentagon UFO program since 2007, said that in some cases, examination of the materials had so far failed to determine their source and led him to conclude we couldn't make it ourselves. Here's another quote from that same article. Mr. Davis, who now works for Aerospace Corporation, a defense contractor, said he gave a classified briefing to a defense department agency as recently as March, March 2020, as recently as March, about retrievals from, quote, 
off-world vehicles not made on this earth, unquote. That was what was thrown all over the internet. The New York Times reports crashed UFO materials found. The headline was much shorter than that, but you know what I mean? New York Times reports we have recovered UFO activity. That's not really what this article says. That's what he says. Now, he says this, and the article, by repeating it, is saying it, but we run into this a lot. I am always looking through paranormal subreddits. I see this all over the place. People will go, CIA acknowledges truth of astral projection. That's referring to what I see that all the time. That's referring to a specific story. The CIA did have a document that was classified for a long time. They've declassified it about a guy who astrally traveled back in time to Mars and was going. It was just reams and reams and reams of documents how he's floating around on Mars seeing this ancient civilization. The CIA has copies of this podcast. The CIA has copies of every article of every newspaper published. CIAs have copies of almost all mass media. And they dig through it. That's And so what happens is, let's say, 50 years from now, they're like, let's declassify Lot J. And it's basically everything they've ever collated on people with the name starting with J. They just were like, yeah, we don't need to classify this stuff anymore. And then someone goes, Dead Rabbit Radio must have been speaking the full truth because the CIA confirmed it. No, the CIA, and we did the story recently, or a long time ago, actually. There was a UFO in Antarctica that was attacking the KGB, and it turned a bunch of them into concrete pillars, and it was absolutely ridiculous. And people were saying, CIA confirms this is real because the CIA had that article. Because they're like, what? So they take it, they classify it, they read it, and they go, that's dumb. But they're not going to immediately declassify it. They have a process. So that's what that is. So just because this stuff is coming out, or somebody is saying this stuff, one, it doesn't mean that the Pentagon's confirming it. Definitely doesn't mean they're denying it either. It doesn't even mean that the New York Times is saying, well, we confirm that alien craft have crashed. When I read this article, I go, oh, okay, some guy who's probably 100 times smarter than I am, who's worked in an industry that's very, very specific to this, is making that statement. That's fair, and that's fine, and that's awesome that he feels comfortable coming out and saying that. When we look at all the ridicule we've talked about UFO disclosure brought about before. That's great. Great job. But that doesn't mean the New York Times is reporting that. What the New York Times is reporting is one person saying this. I would have left it at that, but if, if the New York Times is almost like they were reading my mind, they had a follow-up article, which didn't get pressed. It was about five days later, July 28th, 2020. This article, to me, is infinitely more interesting than the first article. Because it's been a long time. People have been making claims about crashed UFOs. These stories have been reported in the media. Five days later, we have this article from the New York Times. Like, this is written by the same two people, Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Keen. This is this article. Do we believe in UFOs? That's the wrong question. Let me read you a little bit of this article. This is the beginning of the article. We're, this is actually from a section called Times Insider. These are the reporters talking about the story behind the stories. Very, very fascinating. Here's this beginning. Quote, We're often asked by well-meaning associates and readers, do you believe in UFOs? The question sets us aback as being inappropriately personal. Times reporters are particularly averse to revealing opinions that could imply possible reporting bias. But in this case, we have no problem responding. No, we do not believe in UFOs. Wait for it. Next sentence. 
As we see it, their existence or non-existence is not a matter of belief. I'm like, well, that's interesting. You have my attention, author. What do you mean by that? They then quote Margaret Mead, who was this famous anthropologist. She was asked the same question back in 1974. Here's her quote. Belief has to do with matters of faith. It has nothing to do with the kind of knowledge that is based on scientific inquiry. Do people believe in the sun or the moon? Or the changing seasons? Or the chairs they're sitting on? When we want to understand something strange, something previously unknown to anyone, we have to begin with an entirely different set of questions. What is it? How does it work? Unquote. They're making the claim to say, do I believe in UFOs? And, and Margaret Mead is saying the same thing, is almost a misworded question. Because you believe in that door that's sitting in front of you, right? You believe in the clothes that are on your body. Or the skin on your body if you're naked. We believe... If someone walked in and says, do you believe in the floor? You'd be like, what? Because you know it's there. So they're saying... New York Times is basically saying, that's the wrong question. We're not asking whether or not UFOs are real. We have to start looking at them as they are real. How do they work? What do they do? Where do they come from? That's a very bold statement to come from the New York Times. That is not... Some guy giving a presentation. This is the New York Times. These are these two authors. And these articles go through massive revisions. Editors have to look at everything. It goes through all different levels. This is the New York Times through these two authors saying the question of whether or not they exist isn't even a... It's kind of a dumb question at this point. Does the sun exist? Yes. How does the sun work? Why does heat come from the sun? So on and so forth. Those are the type of questions we're asking. They then show, in this article, and it's interesting, they didn't show it in the first article. Again, this is almost like a double down. They then show an unclassified slide from a group known as the AATIP group. That was actually the group in the Pentagon that was looking at anomalous aerial vehicles and stuff like that. So here's this slide that was published in New York Times. Twofold nature of threat. First one is current threat. Advanced aerospace vehicles or AAV phenomenon of foreign derivation, including off-world, being globally deployed, tested, including in the continental United States. Number two is future threat. Potential terrestrial adversaries achieving significant breakthroughs in the development of game-changing disruptive technologies based on evaluations of AAV phenomenon from sensor data or crashed and retrieved materials. Just because this was presented to the Pentagon doesn't mean the Pentagon totally agrees with it, right? You could go and do a presentation saying strawberry ice cream is the best ice cream ever. Everyone disagrees. You get booed out of there. The slide gets declassified. It gets published in the New York Times. Just because this is at a Pentagon meeting does not mean that the Pentagon agrees with it. But that is that language that they're talking about foreign vehicles, including off-world is the specific term used in that. And then the future threat of another country, just based on sensor data, being able to figure out what these things are. Not whether or not they exist, but what they are, where they're from, and more importantly, how they work. Government doesn't care if it's from the bottom of the ocean, from the moon, or from Kansas. They want to know why it's beating all of their fighter jets. They want to know how it's able to fly over military bases undetected. They really don't care. Obviously, it'd be more exciting if it came from the moon than from Kansas. But at the end of the day, they want to know how they work. The article ends with this. This is that second article ends with this. 
quote, Our sources, which are unnamed, our sources tell us that AAV does not refer to vehicles made in any country, not Russian or Chinese, but is used to mean technology in the realm of the truly unexplained. They also assure us that their briefings are based on facts, not belief. Unquote. So this isn't an issue of someone going, I believe that these things are doing this. That I believe that an adversary could use sensor data or crash materials to get an upper hand on us. They're saying this is happening. So we're walking out of the New York Times. It's a bright, sunny New York day. Little Mungo Jr. is going to go order some hot dogs for us. I mean a hot dog. I don't know what you eat. Mungo got you whatever food you like to eat. He's also a genie now. Little Mungo Jr. is a gin. We're sitting, it's a beautiful day in New York City. We're sitting on a bench. You turn to me and you go, hey, Jason, so you said you had something interesting. I mean, this segment was very interesting. Your podcast is so good. I mean, I just got to tell you that. And I'm, I'm blessing. Aww. You're like, but you kept saying you had something interesting to say about that. Something that was kind of different than the articles. You read us the articles. So, so what else do you have to add to this thing? Let's put on our conspiracy caps here for a second. Let's look back at the original article, some quotes here. Uh, Mr. Davis, who now works for the Aerospace Corporation defense contractor, said he gave a classified briefing to a defense department agency as recently as March about retrievals from off-world vehicles not made on this earth. There's another uh, passage here later in the article. Mr. Elizondo is among, it's referring to Luis Elizondo. He also worked with the Pentagon's program. It was the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. That's what AA tip meant that I was referencing earlier. Mr. Elizondo is among a small group of former government officials and scientists with security clearance who, without presenting physical proof, say they are convinced that objects of undetermined origin have crashed on Earth with materials retrieved for study. Those are both very bold statements, obviously. But there's something that I picked up on because I'm a journalism nerd. New York Times has a style guide. All, really, all newspapers have a style guide. A lot of them use the AP style guide, Associated Press style guide. It's basically how things are formatted, how things are worded, capitalization, punctuation, things like that. I have a style guide for my podcast every episode. EP, number of episode, space, dash, space, title. That's a style guide I've developed. Every episode has that same format. Each letter of the word of the title is, is capitalized. That's a style guide I decided on episode one. Because I'm a journalism nerd. So when I was setting all that stuff up, you need to have consistency. You need to have a reason why you capitalize this word, don't capitalize that word, why you use this type of stuff. New York Times style guide, it says that the Earth, Moon, and Sun generally are lowercase. However, you capitalize when used as the proper noun of the planet. Lowercase moon and sun in all references. That's what it says in the New York Times style guide. Both times, offward vehicles not made of this earth, lowercase e. Undetermined origin have crashed on earth, lowercase e. That's not a coincidence. That's not a coincidence. They lowercase that e for a reason. Earth means one of two things. The planet or dirt. Not made on this dirt. Not made on this soil. Objects of undetermined origin have crashed on soil, on dirt. They did not capitalize Earth as a proper noun for a reason. What is that reason? I don't know. But I think it's a bit of a clue as to where I'm going with this. CIA, when you do put this in your library, don't arrest me if this is actually true. Conspiracy cap fully on. 
this article came out. He got a bunch of clicks. These type of articles come out every so often, right? And people are like, the, the world goes, oh, that's interesting. And then they go back to the normal life. And then UFO researchers go, whoa, that's phenomenal. And they continue to carry the torch until the next big breakthrough. So these articles aren't rare. The fact that it's coming from the New York Times, the fact that people are being quoted at fairly high levels, and the fact that they did a follow-up saying, oh, no, 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 the question whether or not we believe in UFOs is, is almost insulting. You believe in a religion. A, a physical matter is a fact. It's a totally different set of questions. This is my hypothesis, ladies and gentlemen. These articles were not meant for us. They were put out publicly. We were able to read them and have a good time reading them. This article was a warning for three people. The governments of the United States, Russia, and China. An advanced aerospace vehicle has crashed somewhere on this planet, but not in any of their territories. That's always the thing, right? I mean, I guess it's because all the movies come out of Hollywood, but the idea of the Roswell crash or UFOs meeting the president or UFOs invading the United States, why couldn't it crash in Brazil, where they did have a UFO crash recently? Crash in Bolivia, in Mexico, in Lithuania, Somalia, Libya, Madagascar. I mean, why not? It's a big planet. It's not including anywhere in the ocean. Game-changing technology. You could say, well, what if ISIS found a crashed UFO? There you go. There's your idea for your science fiction novel you can write during your fall break. But any government that this crashed in front of would automatically become a superpower. Even if you could barely figure it out, you're a superpower. Even if you're only able to reverse engineer 10% of an off-world vehicle, you're a superpower now. And if you can get even more of it, if you can really dig into it and figure out how it works, you're the superpower. You would redefine the term superpower on this planet. You would be the only power on this planet. See, we always have stories about, oh, the United States has reverse engineered this vehicle, but we never see any proof of it. And when asked for proof, people go, well, the government's hiding that proof. Well, I believe these articles are coming out now because it either recently happened or a government, not of those three, has recently figured out more than we know. This is the way subterfuge works, right? This is the way this type of stuff works. You have in the old days, back when you had the Berlin Wall and stuff like that, I'm sure they still do it today, spy, spy art, whatever it is, spy fair or something like that. You put classified ads in newspapers, people look at it, people know what the code is. All the stuff that crazy people in the 60s were like, oh my god, look at, I see this pattern. People were like, no, you're crazy. They would actually do stuff like that. They'd put stuff on internet forums that you would never think to go. If you're not going to go to a Buffy fan forum in 2020, you might. It was a pretty good show. But you could have one set up, and it looks like you're talking about Buffy stuff, and it's really two agents discussing where they're going to have to drop off this USB drive. They have all sorts of these codes. That's what um, Tor was originally invented for was to allow me to go into a coffee shop in Istanbul and send a message to my handler in Berlin, and it could never get traced back to me. Tor was invented by the U.S. government to be able to pass spy secrets. You can go to an internet coffee shop in any country and send documents, and it'd just be super slow. It'd be almost like dial-up speed. All that stuff was invented for. Spycraft. And then you have more spectacular spycraft, which I don't, I don't, I, spycraft might be the wrong term for what this article is doing, but I think this article, this information is being put out very, very selectively. 
And instead of sending someone over to Russia, and they may have, America may have sent someone over to Russia and be like, hey, we think something's going on. We think something's going on in Panama. We think they retrieved something. Ah. Put this article out, and it's for all of us to consume, but it's for a small group of people to really perk their ears up and go, that's not good. (laughs) That is not good. I don't believe Blumenthal and Keen are masterminds of some plot. I don't believe the the people that I quoted in the article are masterminds of some plot. I think that the fact that this information is being put out in such a public and splashy way is very curious. Now, with consp- that was with conspiracy caps fully on. There is some interesting details in that. The timing is weird. The fact that they didn't capitalize the Earth thing is weird. But could have been an editorial error twice. You could have changed their style guide and then not updated it in where I got it. Right? That's the more logical explanation. The more logical explanation. This is the most logical explanation, actually. New York Times, some reporter was sitting at a Senate hearing, half asleep, and got wind of a story, published it. They got a ton of clicks, and they go, hey, man, in for a penny. And they republished a new article about the same subject with a little more new information. You got more clicks. That's the most logical explanation, right? It was just clickbait. But I just think everything, when we're taken into the whole of things, it's a little more interesting, a little more fascinating than that. We always see these sci-fi stories of alien ships coming down, of humanity waging a valiant war against them. Sometimes they lose in the story. Sometimes they win. It's always a bloody struggle. Mankind united against an invader. But there's another story that's not as often discussed. None pops to my head. Where a UFO does crash on planet Earth, and a small, almost unnoticed country comes in possession of it. While trying to reverse engineer the craft, you have CIA agents trying to infiltrate the ranks. You have KGB agents trying to assassinate scientists to try to get to the vehicle themselves. They're able to thwart both of them and successfully reverse engineer the alien technology. In this scenario... It wouldn't be a threat from outer space. This was a one in a million, one in a trillion chance. A UFO flying through the galaxy crashes on Earth. It's a crapshoot that it would land on soil versus going deep inside the ocean. In this story, the threat, while starting from outer space, is from our own species. A technologically dominant, almost magical force suddenly appears. We could try to fight them off. Combined, our combined might, humanity, may be able to fight off a nation with alien technology. Or we may not. We may be conquered within a matter of weeks by a country previously you couldn't even find on a map. It's now the capital of the planet. We like to think about lizard man shapeshifters and gray aliens experimenting on people. But humans with alien technology might be the most dangerous foe humanity will ever face. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is our daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm so glad you listened to it today. You guys have an awesome weekend. I'll see you guys on Monday. <laughs>